in Houston. I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, the 16th day of May. Great as always to have you along, everybody. From the experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Yeah, like a TED Talk with interaction. If all goes well, curiosity is sparked, new ideas accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself and somebody else solve a problem, make a connection, reaching the opportunity faster. Connecting and learning with other leaders has never been more important for your business. AI and groundbreaking techniques like ChatGPT are not only revolutionary, but controversial, having the most profound impact on business world of any technology since the personal computer. Bottom line, companies have got to adapt and learn how to properly use AI to survive. Welcome to the first in a series of interactive shows focused on helping business leaders solving problems with AI in partnership with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Now I'm going to launch this first poll before we dive in. So please take a moment and fill that out for us. On the show today, why do so many AI projects fail? And what does success look like? Uh, and how do you know what's at stake here? Folks, help me welcome guest expert Dale Brown. Dale's a seasoned sales and go-to-market executive with more than 25 years in the IT industry with deep experience in infrastructure, cloud, SaaS, and now AIML. In his six-year machine learning, which includes data labeling, ML ops, pipelines, workflows, orchestration, Dale is one of the few people who has two successful corporate exits in machine learning under his belt. In his current role as global leader for AI software sales at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Dale is joined by his colleague and team member, Bianca DePriest, AI and ML Senior Account Executive with HPE. Dale, grateful to have you and Bianca kick off the new HPE series and look forward to your insights and the discussion with the group today. Over hey John, to you. thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here. So um, I know you're taking a look at the poll, but let's talk about what I hope you learn here. <clears throat> There's really three things. I hope you walk away with ideas to, for navigating success to AI ML, and you'll hear me use the term ML, meaning machine learning. Um, second is, I hope that you're able to pinpoint the challenges and set corrective approaches to the path forward in getting there. And then the third is, um, have ideas of ways of bridging the technical and business sides of the topic, because that's really required in this sort of new world order of making AI relevant uh, to your business. So um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, machine learning, AI, how it fails, why it fails. Um, I have a slide for you, uh, which lists out some of the sort of standard things that you have heard before. John, if you could put slide one up, that would be great. And so as you look at these things, and, and you dig into the topic. And when you search, uh, you'll see these kinds of things there and I'll, as we're waiting for that. Um, number one is lack of clear objectives. Number two is lack of domain expertise. Number three is uh, poor project management. Number four is lack of stakeholder buy-in. Number five is uh, data related to data quality. It's related to, uh, or the, unavailabil the unavailability of data. And then six, there's a series of technology-centric things. <laughs> so, um, back to the meta question here, which is like, if so if, if AI is so important, why do projects fail? So when you see this list, are these causes or are these 
effects. And so, sure, they're facts. Like, these things happen. But my observation that these are effects. These are outcomes that have other root causes. Why? Because they happen over and over again, whether you're changing companies or you're changing technologies or you're changing teams, these things continue to happen. So before we talk about the solution, um, let me talk about this. In the past number of years, I've met with a lot of companies and they've landed in three areas across like my, I guess, as John said, my sixth year now. Um, there are companies that have succumbed to these things. In other words, they have tried uh, to initiate uh, ML projects and failed for one of these reasons or more. There are those that have pressed through and they've gotten to the winning side of the equation. They've gotten business results. They've had clear pathways forward and they've leaned in and learned and grown and adapted. And then there's the third ones who succumb first and then they press through. And so my challenge for you today is to think about how to actually land in that middle category and not end up in the third category. Because at the end of the day, as you're seeing, you know, AI is here to stay. And so it's really about how effectively your company, your team, your organization, and frankly, you participate and educate. John, I think we still don't have slides for the team here. Yeah, Gus, you, are you on that? I'll keep going while we wait. Yeah, sorry. No worries. Keep going. I'm adaptable. So, so we talk about the solution to things and, and you can see the slides and we'll, 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 we'll get you caught up here, but look, you can categorize the solution is really uh, one of three things. And I'll dig into this a little bit and just go to the second slide, John, when you get it up there. Um, it's really about uh, three elements that help you transcend and push forward. It's about um, comprehension. It's about education and it's about leadership. Now, when I say the word leadership, by the way, people go, oh, well, I'm not in management. I'm an IC. And this transcends that. This is about your individual leadership. Next slide, if you could, John. There we go. I'm going to move this down so I have some notes here. Sorry about this, team. There we go. All right. So let's start with the nucleus and work ourselves backwards here. So when you talk about access to path forward, how does that happen? So let's say that you are part of a financial services company and you're highly regulated and you want to implement machine learning for a better customer experience. So you need data that's both internal, you need external data that's um, unstructured, you need to actually create ML models for customer experience. And the problem that you run into is that, uh, is that you can't get access to the data that you need because of concerns over um, privacy, concerns over regulatory, et cetera. What do you do? Do you stop? Do you just say, oh, ML doesn't apply to our company? What you do is you, you lean in. And typically what that is, is that's a comprehension problem. In other words, to what degree do you need that information? Do you need it in its raw sense or can it be pre-processed before your team gets access to it? Educating the people that are um, uh, preventing you uh, that have set the policies to getting what you need to move forward is really was going to be what's key so that they actually understand and they co-collaborate and co-create. If you continue to back that, that point up into the education cycle of that example, right, 
you can use examples of what other companies are doing. And then you move even further, you have to have support from your leader, leadership base, but also your own leadership to lean in. So the reality is, is that all of these things to trigger your access are really start with your decision to press through. So as I, so as I get into this a little bit more, what do I mean by comprehension? You have to enter the other person's world. You have to actually understand why they are preventing you from getting what it is that you want or need, why a decision has been made and where that is stopping you. When it gets to education, oftentimes, in fact, I just saw this, I was just reading this, Procter & Gamble is sending all of its, its, its senior executives to actually go get trained, and I believe it's at Wharton Business School, on artificial intelligence so that they can speak in context about what ML can do for their company and what that means and how they actually drive that forward. And so when you're looking at the points of education, regardless of whether it's technical or business, you need to understand, you know, particularly what you're trying to do, what other companies are doing, but also understand how you're actually trying to apply machine learning, right? Um, there are what I refer to, no offense anyone, but more basic ML use cases. You're using tabular data, you're doing pricing model analysis, you're doing churn analysis. ML is taking some data you have in-house already and it's creating models and processes so that improves the business process for you. Or you're doing more advanced things, which is multimodal, raw unstructured data, some tabular data, you're bringing that together to make decisions about customer experience. You're doing deep learning related things all the way through to generative AI, which is in that sort of category. Those are more complicated things. The flow of data from outside the company and how you process the data and actually how you train models at scale. Those are more complex things. Understanding what that means to the business, especially if you're in a business role and it's a non-technical role. Now, set that aside, though. From the education standpoint, if you're in a technical role, do you know how to write a business case that gets you the money you need to actually complete your project? Do you know how to manage expectations as to the phases of your project and where you are in lab creation, testing and experimentation mode and what you need there? And whether you're in um, going from lab to live and what it means to work with the team for scale and process and, and pipelines of things and potential outcomes. And what are the success metrics and how do you educate your, your brethren on the other side of the, uh, uh, of, of the hallway there on the business side so they understand? Both sides need to not assume that they understand each other and come together. And that's how you actually get access to things to drive comprehension and, and, and push things forward. So leadership, back to this point, like, and I see this a lot, folks, that um, we tend to compartmentalize and the bigger the company we are, the more we sort of think this is my role and this is what I'm responsible for. And I look into that. In other words, if I'm at the tip of a pyramid, my pyramid and down, but leadership actually applies and it transcends role and it transcends level banding or anything else in an organization. You can apply leadership as an individual contributor. What I mean by this is that sometimes you see a problem and you see where something has stopped, may not even be your domain of expertise, but you could actually organize a consortium of people to come together and discuss all of the potential pitfalls, what's preventing you. Bring to the table 
the education so that people comprehend on what other companies are doing, right? So don't look at leadership as a person or a role, but look at it as a contribution, right? And, and so, and, and particularly peel the onion, make sure you're actually getting to the core of what's going on. Um, collaborate, enforce the collaboration. Sometimes people will be resistant, but you got to push past that. Why am I saying all these things so emphatically? Because when you go back to, and I'm sure John will make this available, but when you go back to the, all the reasons you hear that these projects fail, um, that what'll happen is, is you'll see there's a pattern of where they kind of, as we say, went left, right? And it has to do with one of these three areas. Leadership wasn't there, education wasn't there, or comprehension wasn't there. So I'm gonna tell a story. Um, and I will uh, change the names to protect the innocent, but um, this is very recently. Right. Um, me and the team went in to help. Um, they said uh, this 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 uh, large company that you would know in financial services again. That if I said the name, you would know them. I won't. Um, they have a series of people that are in the data science organization that need to train and experiment models, and it's a lot of them. So they have a lot of resources they've spent on infrastructure and tooling, and et cetera. Um, someone that made an architectural decision chose a kernel sort of core technology for how these um, effectively training things would get scheduled. And effectively, that kernel technology wasn't fit for purpose. It caused the data science team some real grief. It caused the infrastructure team some real grief. But Elsewhere in the company, they, they use this technology successfully. So someone said, we use it there, we understand it there, we'll understand it here. What happened though, is it wasn't fit for purpose. And so when they went back to redress that with that individual made the decision, ego won, politics won. And so they went through and they were looking for tools to complement and put wrappers around this fundamentally problematic decision technologically to optimize down to that weakest link in the chain to make something work. And wanted to embark in proofs of concept and different ways of doing that. And so instead of actually leaning into the business, instead of clean sheet of paper, knowing what they know now, what would they change? They actually um, were optimizing to the wrong things while their competitors were probably weren't doing that, right? You all know that, you've all seen it, we've all suffered it. Sometimes we go up, oh, this is what our company does. This is what our organization does. You can't afford to do that in this domain. You will lose because while you're doing that and optimizing to the lowest common denominator, your competitors are not. They're getting educated, they're, they're, they're comprehending, and they're leaning in. And so you have to decide, are you going to participate with, with, with that or are you going to do something differently? So, so ultimately, what happened? Well, or what will happen? Still, this is a this is a live and active thing. Like this is within the last few weeks. Um, if there is no change, they're going to fail, and that failure will be a forcing function to a new approach. Like I said, they'll fall into the third bucket. They even said so to me. They said, "Yep, yeah, you know, we'll come back to you after we sort of failed, and we can kind of get through this." And 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 I would challenge them if they see this is to like don't let that happen. <laughs> like just get a better perspective get a broader set of optics, get someone else on high to actually say that we're gonna actually take a different decision. And so they're using a failure mode to change perspectives, change assumptions, change the mobilizers, change the leaders, and then eliminate the cause of friction. I don't want that to happen for you.
So, um, so what are the actionable recommendations? Let's get into some of the meat of that. Like, again, you know, this is regardless of if you're a tech or a business person, regardless, ignore the words I use, but just think about the actual essence of what I'm saying, right? To drive leadership, you have to change culture. You might have to change culture that ML is a real thing. You might have to change culture of how we get educated. You may have to change culture about how you invest in things. It, you have to create room for, for new outcomes and new possibilities. Sometimes that happens through communication. Sometimes it happens by committee. Sometimes it happens just with a single person asking questions um, over and over again. But you have to actually change the culture when it comes to ML because you have to apply leadership to actually understand that this is uh, this is the future. This is what's going to happen. It'll happen to you if you don't participate with it. You have to adapt quickly. You have to abate the politics. And you have to actually get a collective thinking to choose the most important and most valuable things. And that might be learning. It might be we're going to do a bunch of things in the lab until we learn. But to this end of a business outcome, we want to affect you know, efficiency here, revenue there, customer experience there, those sorts of things. Um, manage expectations. This is where I see a lot of things go wrong. You probably, if you've been involved in ML, you knew, oh, wow, a project got defunded. Like they had money and then the money went away. Or they spent a lot of money and they didn't get a result. And so that was a failure. We're not doing it. Team got disbanded. They're all doing different things. That was all about managing expectations. All about managing expectations. What I've seen since I started in this industry is that data scientists and um, ML engineers are not experts on business cases. They're experts in their field of, of expertise, right? L leadership is expert in business cases, but leadership aren't experts in ML, <laughs> oftentimes people in leadership roles. And so you got to make sure that you're managing expectations, especially at, your, at the project level of we're spending this money to get this result, to deliver us this to this outcome. And here's where we are in the phases of things. And by the way, yes, this is five or six figures today. And here's what it's going to take at each particular phase. And here's what here's how the business is benefited. Oftentimes, your leaders are used to thinking about binary outcomes. This is a win. This is not. Right. And in ML, it's a process. So manage the expectations to know about the investment and how you're actually moving forward through the process of things. Number three, get acclimated to the outcome risks. Bianca on my team is actually a subject matter expert in ethics and AI, big topic right now. She'll have some things to share a little bit later. But when you talk about the ethics and the impact, we all know the stories about how the large organizations have been doing ML for years, ran into some real problems. Um, you know, this is this is no secret. There was, there was a company, one of the big ones you know, that was disqualifying women based upon if their resume had any sort of women's organization or association in the resume. There was another company that we all know, we use their devices on a daily basis, that um, they had problems with facial recognition and skin tone, right? Very publicized, very brand affecting. So know about the risks of, 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 of AI in the, in the construct of ethics. Regulatory, what's the trend of regulatory and compliance in your industry? for AI today and for the processes you want to affect. Um, big, big area is observability. Do you know what happened to affect a model to make a decision? Is that traceable back to the data and the changes of the data and the code? 
in regulated industries, super important. But even in not so regulated industries, when your leadership wants to know how we got here, you'll need to have an answer. I highly recommend that you pay attention to that. And here, here's another story. So um, when people say, I want to embark on an ML project, then I'm Greenfield, right? Um, or relatively Greenfield. There are three trade-offs. There's three, three approaches with, with trade-offs, I should say. Um, the one is you can go an open source software route, what I would also call DIY, because you've got to pull all that stuff together. Low expense to get started. It can be expensive. It can get you some results. It can be, the trade-off is expensive to live with. The challenge with, with that is you can't make feature requests for products to open source projects, right? You might have an internal expert in a certain field of things. That's great. But realize there is a hidden cost to open source and DIY that may not be so obvious when you're just doing this in, in the lab, if you will, in a controlled environment. So cheap to get started, could be expensive and difficult to live with it may put you at a disadvantage in time to market. The other side of it is you can go to a system integrator that has experience in either a business process or using machine learning or both. They can take your scope, they can deliver a result to you. And then someone has to run that, right? Someone has to use it to operate it. And you're gonna have change. You're gonna want to expand the scope. You're gonna have change orders. You're gonna have all kinds of things in managing that relationship because it won't be a one and done where they deliver it to you, you'll have an evolution or a life cycle of that, of that project. So one throat to choke, get an outcome, might be expensive and time consuming to live with, might not. That might, you might have a more virtualized organization where that makes complete sense for you. Then there's straight up the middle, which you choose a platform, which has a series of things that a, pro, a set of processes and a set of tools and things already do. There's a lot of companies that are doing these things. Some of them are doing very basic ML and they're trying to extend into deep learning. Some of them are open source tools already. And then you can pay for, you know, um, licensing fees and get deeper support. Um, and, and frankly, you know, shameless plug, this is the reason that I joined HP in this role is because HP has a platform that actually does this for deep learning. Everything just works together. You can do everything from generative AI to deep learning models. It's specifically built for that. And it allows you to manage data, have all the lineage and the, the training at scale. It's actually very, very good. Obviously, there's my plug. Hope you want to find out more information. It works incredibly well. And that's the thing that you have to decide. Cheap to get started. Might be difficult to live with. Go to the platform play. Might take you a little bit more to justify the decision, but maybe easier to live with. And or choose a system integration shop that will do this for you, maybe educate you along the way, might be fast to market, but might be expensive to live with. But think of those things. I have a pro tip for you here. Oftentimes, data scientists and ML engineers think about the um, effects of what they're doing with models, but they don't think about the data infrastructure that it takes to feed the models. Without data, you don't have machine learning. You're training data is used to train the model to get an outcome. So don't ignore your data infrastructure. Understand what it, what you need. And it may not be that what your enterprise uses as its data infrastructure is fit for purpose for machine learning for your use cases, depending on how you're going to do it. It may not be the right thing for transformation. It may not be the right thing for pipelines. You have to decide that for yourself. So can we show the poll results, John? On the way. Great. 
So let's look at this here. So is your organization using AI? So we have about uh, some are yes, uh, a third or no, and then they're investigating. So this is about what we see. Like this is absolutely about what we see. How many AI models in your organization in production? None. So, so about 40%. Yes. Um, that's This is so true to what we see in the uh, sort of across the board. And the third, not sure, just came to get educated. Welcome. Glad to have you. If you have AI models, productions, how are the top two uh, use cases performing the business? Too soon to tell. Yes. I would suggest to you the ones that say it's too soon to tell. Manage expectations of what you are learning and call that a win and document that. Make sure that you've talked to your leaders about, even though it's too soon to tell, what you've learned this far and, and make it valuable to the business. Make it clear because they won't understand unless you do, right? Um, our ROI goals have been exceeded 12%. Awesome. Like you are in an elite category. This is exactly <laughs> what I would expect to see. 30%, um, I'm not sure. Go find out. Talk to the people in the project. Talk, to, figure out what people perceive because guess what? Perception is reality, but it may not be the facts. Um, and then with all the buzz around chat, GPT is your large org is your organization looking for ways to leverage LLMs? Uh, yes, this is exactly what I would expect to see is the split. 50% um, are waiting to see how the dust settles and, and they don't want to get into trouble. And then we got... Um, some looking for a business case and some that are like looking to implement. Um, and let's see here, if you're not implementing or what's preventing you. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Still determining. This is where you want to get educated. You want to learn what other companies are doing. And you specifically want to reach out to your leadership and find out in the roles what their perspective is. I would encourage you to lean in and bridge the gap and start the conversations. So, um, so look, here's the thing that I, uh, that I hope you've learned. The challenges to machine learning and that path is mutable. It's not, a, it's not pervasive. It's not, it's not a, a, a giant brick wall. You just have to choose particularly where the pressure points are to open up that, that, that pathway to action, how you actually have a pathway to success. And frankly, um, when you do, you will see the advantages to the business. You don't want to be the last ones in your industry to sort of apply this and get the efficiencies and or and or the particular outcomes. So Thank you, you know here, sorry, John, my part's my part's over. Did you want to introduce the next section or shall I? No, I'd like to go ahead and say this is a perfect time for us to open the floor and get some feedback from the group. Perfect. Thank you. Folks, if you guys are new to the show, you know, we start the group discussion with a question that our expert has for you. Dale's already said it, but we'll say it again. Uh, Gus, you'll put it in the chat. That'd be helpful. Uh, that's just to get us rolling. You guys have been thinking about it. You'll have your own questions. Maybe you have questions for other people in the group. So please share your experience, lessons learned briefly, right, to give everybody a chance to keep it flowing. You can also use the raise hand toolbar. Uh, and if I call on you and you just don't want to do it, you can say I'd pass. So when you start, would you kindly just share your name, who you're with, it would be super and keep the chat box active. Okay, so Dale's question to you was, well, where are your current points of friction? How are you addressing them? And um, I noticed that uh, we have Dr. Kayali here from Woodside Energy. Uh, would you mind sharing your perspective on this and get us rolling? Hi, John. Uh, yeah, thank you for, for, for this. I mean, Kayali uh, with Woodside Energy. Uh, so basically, uh, 
some of the issues that actually uh, this is just not that good side even from past experience uh, i work in the oil and gas industry and uh, you know it's uh, it's a very uh, old yet modern industry that is very much technology intensive and uh, you know some of the issues that probably will be most challenging is finding the right talent uh, for the mlai uh, you know we we the AI, despite its root, is 60, 70 years old this point today uh, since the original conference at Dartmouth. But still, I think we we still we 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 have a lot of work to do in order to define exactly what make uh, a data scientist data scientist today. Uh, and and I think it's it's really important that we identify the right talent and that talent should be suitable for the industry you are in basically. Uh, it's one thing to have a business champion on the business side. Another is to make sure that the data scientists themselves understand how the data is generated, how it is used by the, uh, by, by the SMEs. Uh, when, how to identify really what, what would be an anomaly in, in the data that you have and, and, and that knowledge kind of, you know, the bridge uh, between you and the SME has to be somehow built. It's not, it's not the SME only that will be watching over you. You should be watching also over what, what data you are using and whether this data actually is good or not. That, that's one thing. Another thing is framing the right problems and make sure that you are not trying to solve everything with AI ML because not everything needs to be actually used, be using AI ML. Uh, so that sometimes is really uh, a good practice to to kind of taper taper the the hype and expectations that you know AI is going to solve our problems, and also to put at ease some of the SMEs and people in the industry, the geologists, the geoscientists that AI isn't here to take your job; it's here to facilitate and help. And so. The, the last point I want to make, it's extremely important that you evangelize. So the adoption is one of the friction points for actually the success of AI ML, uh, you know, program in any organization and bringing along the business, trying to make sure that they, they have clarity on what to, what, what, what to expect and what, how you can help them. And, uh, Make sure you just if 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 they need to to clarify more than one time, you be open and try to frame it differently until you get to a place where you feel like okay, they they got it. The black box is no longer black, and and that's what's really important for adoption. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, appreciate your insights. Hey Bianca, uh, I know this is an area that you're uh, focused on. Do you want to share your take on uh, what, what Dr. Ayali said? Um, yeah, there are a few points here um, around around what he said that I think are really important. I think the first piece, and I guess the, the piece that I would focus on, especially when it comes to more of the technical folks I work with, whether you're an individual contributor or, um, you know, SVP level, is finding the right problems. Like you said, like we don't need to boil the ocean and, and automate and solve everything with AI and machine learning. 
Um, typically, you know, it's really understanding the scope of the problem that's worth solving. You know, um, obviously, how big is it? How many teams are impacted by this problem? If you solve the problem, are we making money for the business? Are we reducing total cost of operation? You know, is it risk mitigation? Are we accelerating time to value? So having the right problems to solve, understanding the scope of the problems, um, and putting it in that business terms and trying to find metrics as much as possible because, you know, um, precision, recall rate, like those things aren't going to matter to a business stakeholder. We have to put it into the terms that they are going to understand and help you champion. Um, the other piece is obviously with you're going to you're going to solve this problem, you have to understand the business. So, um, you know, is the scope of the problem something that's actually aligning to one of the strategic initiatives that's, you know, going on in your earnings calls? If you're at a publicly traded company, there's a wealth of knowledge and ways that you can self-identify how to make this problem that you want to solve more powerful and getting the right people involved. Um, and I guess that's that's the last kind of piece of, you know, advice from the, the technical stakeholder standpoint and, and solving the right problems is, you know, finding those mobilizers within the organization. It's not always going to be someone on the C-suite. Um, like Dale said earlier, it could be an individual contributor. Um, really looking at, you know, people that obviously internally, you'll you'll hear talk of people that are really powerful and, and get initiatives moving. But, you know, who was the last person that championed a big, a big tech for AI and machine learning? Um, who is someone that was, you know, promoted consistently the past few years? Or even a new stakeholder came to the organization. You know, I think there's some crazy stat of like 80% of um, a new stakeholder's budget is spent within the first three to six months of landing at an organization. And that just goes to show you that they're there to solve problems and make things happen. Yeah. So um, a little bit of a long-winded answer, but I, I'd say that's that's from the, the technical stakeholder standpoint. That's right on it. So uh, do we have any other questions from the group out there? Maybe there's a challenge that's real sticky for you in this. Tanchu, uh, forgive me for uh, messing up your name, but can you come online and tell us uh, right here what your question is in person? Unmute yourself. Thank you. Thank you. So my question is basically just for the planning phases in terms of you know the the AML projects estimations. So uh, what I wanted to know is what usually the 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 differentiation between the size of the poc the proofs that we make versus the whole project so uh, this is very important in terms of when we are really getting into deciding whether we want to go ahead or not in a aml kind of a project yeah did you want to take that or would you like me to um if you want to take a first pass sure so so great question so um what i would suggest is is that from a poc perspective what you want to do is, is you want to actually not only check success metrics, but you want to learn some things, right? So I would suggest that you take an MVP approach, but your true north is going to be when the end state, when this is implemented, what are the two or three things that this must do to serve the business? And what I'm here's what I mean by that is, are you looking to improve a process efficiency by reducing time, effort, something like that? So what's that measurement? And, and or is this going to change the customer's either experience and or is this going to increase or impact revenue? And so I would try to find the ends values and then I would figure out the metrics that, here's my recommendation would be figure out the particular metrics. You might find that breaking your POCs down into 
separate sort of let's call them um, lab or a series of experimentations in the lab and then POCs for going live and in production um, are going to be different things and so what are you optimizing for and what is the next step I would suggest though again MVP what's your true north tie the success metrics to the end state values and then decide is this have to does this have to be in a production environment or is it in the controlled lab environment be what I would say and by the way test it you know to create a tension model so you come up with your 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 hypothesis of what the POC should have as as as, as a as MVP and success metrics and then you get other voices and be inclusive in that you can still say look at this point in time we're going to narrow this down but you'll they'll give you dimension and perspective to test if it's the right level of effort so especially those first ones take a little bit more effort Yanka what did I miss I think you were spot on I think I would just add the you know trying not to boil the ocean when it comes to the the proof of concept like so really having that clear end state in mind um, of what needs to be achieved. And so that way, because commonly we'll see, especially when people are looking at, you know, maybe a platform to support a use case, you know, they're they're looking at every single feature and benefit. Maybe it's a 50, a 50 itemized list of everything they'd like to see. I'd say, you know, understand that end state and really rank, you know, your success criteria of what are must-haves. Um, and this is getting software or, you know, software perspective specific um but what are must-haves and what are what are going to be a little bit of you know nice to have and really have that differentiated in your head um because if you are looking at software things like that no one's going to do everything the way that you want to do it so to just yeah make sure you understand that on the front end and what's going to get you to that end state hey steve uh cliff and if you're there any different perspective from the defense side of things that you're seeing yeah, sorry, I I am not able to put my camera on on this laptop, but um, yeah, I mean, I can share some 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 thoughts there. I mean, in terms of you know points of friction, um, there's there's I'm sure that there's varying levels of friction for for uh, across D and D, but uh, you know, as as Dale mentioned, you know, I mean, leaning in, we're certainly leaning in uh, on the AI side. There's just such a a need for um, solutions for us. You know, we have so many sensors, we have so much data, so much imagery to look at specifically uh in in sort of my field of expertise with with uh mapping and charting so um you know we're looking at things that will help us with our human resources issues we don't have enough people to to look at as much data as we have um but it really comes down to um quantity um and quality so you know if if we have ai solutions that produce the quality that we get with you know human analysis then we're all in um but that that quality over quantity is is a is a bit of a a sticking point. We have to make sure that we've got good data. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Uh, any last questions? We've got folks from uh, media, automotive. We've got folks from uh, more data scientists on the line. And one thing I'll add, um, group is uh, you know when. When it comes to ethical AI, I'll post a couple of profiles as a starting point for you, um, for, for people that you can follow, a couple of people that are really on, on top of like the AI EU Regulation Act, um, things, things like that. I'd also say, you know, if you're doing any sort of AI, you know, take a moment to either to watch either the uncoded bias on Netflix, I'll, I'll post that here, um, or, you know, Social Dilemma, which really opened my eyes to 
you know, the ethical implications that AI can have on us, aside from just taking people's jobs, which is like the, you know, end state robot, that's what we're fearing. But it's more so like, are people getting not approved for for credit for owning a home because of, you know, their skin color? Like there are so many other implications of AI that we need to be thinking about first. So I'll post some of those resources as well. Thank you very much, Bianca. Dale, last word. Yeah, so ultimately, here's here's what I would leave you with is that um, the word learning is an action verb. So uh, deep learning, machine learning, they're not a destination. They're a process. It's something you're going to keep doing and understanding. You're going to keep going through the process. Technology is going to move forward and find new ways of doing things. You want to be in the flow of information, in the flow of the domain. Even if your company is not doing it today the way that you would like, want, or focus upon, um, I would suggest as a business person or as a technical person, you jump in because in a few years, you will actually be someone that can speak about this topic with a level of experience uh, and level of confidence. So jump in. It's a process. Thank you very much, Dale. Folks, how was the expert talk and the discussion today? As you can see, we've got the poll turned on. Love to have your uh, input on that. It's very important for us to grow and get better. Today's post-show notes uh, will hit your mailbox soon with uh, the intended contact information, as well as the presentation that finally got up there. So you'll get to see that in all its glory. Uh, next up from the experts, Solving Problems with AI continues June 13th with focus on hybrid computing for AI. And it's led by Bill Manel, Chief Technologist, America's HPC and AI Solutions. How do you balance AI resource flexibility and cost? What criteria help you determine how much in the cloud versus premises? How do you choose that? Well, with over 2,000 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FT network is growing fast thanks to you and our sponsors. So please check out our library of expert content. It's available to you on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and register for the next shows that are coming up just like this one on our website at fte.network. Well, folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again to Dale and Bianca, and of course, to all of you from the experts on the FTE show. Have a great rest of your day.